The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. This podcast is presented in glorious 2D hand-drawn animation. This is Totally Super. Hello and welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we are reviewing Batman! Mask of the Phantasm, which you probably haven't seen. Probably not. We get get that you probably haven't seen it. It wasn't a giant hit. Um, It came out right around uh, the time of like in between Batman Returns and Batman Forever, I believe, December 25th, uh, 1993. Uh, its budget was $6 million and its box office was $5.8 million. So no one saw this. Was this even the theater? Was this even released in theaters? This was a theatrical release. Oh. I remember it coming out in the theaters. Um, now, as time has gone on, while I know that nobody saw this in the theaters and this was a disappointment and it's not, you know, there have been movies like this, like the uh, Star Wars Clone Wars movie that came out the disappointed when mm-hmm. it came out in the like on on the big screen but then when it translates to video i remember going to blockbuster and this movie seemed to always be out yeah like it seemed to just always be out on the shelves you would always see it there was sort it's of a this perfect home video omnipresent thing yeah um and it's and, worth noting uh, that's how we of course watch it it's worth noting too that probably very few of our listeners have seen mask of the phantasm a great number of them have seen the animated series and that's sort of the this <laughs> we're, we're reviewing this movie as a means of also talking about the animated series without which Batman would not be the Batman we know. Yeah, and it's it was an important time for uh for Batman. We're going to go over uh a few things about that. It's we're coming off of uh we're coming off of 1993 1992's Batman Returns which we reviewed. My favorite superhero one of my favorite superhero movies of all time, but it wasn't super well received. And that's really important to note that it didn't make the money the first one did. It certainly didn't sell a bunch of toys. It pissed off a bunch of parents. And so you had the Batman franchise in flux where certainly Batman was cool, but it didn't stay where it was. Um, uh, it had it had taken a hit. And in comes uh, Batman, the animated series. Uh, let, let me ask you, did you have you seen every episode of Batman, the animated series? Um, Probably not. No, I've seen I've seen a whole bunch of them, but I never actually watched. I, I, there were a couple times and it was uh, I was in high school when it was airing. So I saw a lot of them uh, on the television originally. And since then, of course, they've been in syndication everywhere. Uh, so I've I've watched it's one of those shows that if I'm channel surfing and it's on, I will watch that episode. So I'm sure I've seen a bunch of them. But there were 85 episodes total of this show made, which surprised me that the number was so high. Yeah, my understanding is that you have uh, you've you've done a little research into Batman the Animated Series. I have indeed. uh, If you if you have some information about it, I would like to hear more about this show. Would you? Well, I would be happy to share that information, Justin. Uh, Yes, Batman the Animated Series. It premiered in 1992. It was made by Warner Brothers and premiered on Fox Kids. And it uh, it's certainly locked in to many people the idea of sort of the iconic comic Batman. We've said before on this show, Kevin Conroy voiced Batman. Mark Hamill, who no one had heard of since Star Wars at the time. I mean, now Mark Hamill's back as a famous name, but in the early 90s, Mark Hamill had disappeared. Uh, And suddenly there's this great Joker that you're listening to and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm loving this character. And then you find out, holy crap, it's Luke Skywalker voicing the Joker. And our 
arguably creating one of the the most memorable, iconic Joker performances with it. This show was critically reviewed when it came out. Uh, it won several dozen awards, including uh, one primetime Emmy and 12 daytime Emmys. Uh, I believe the primetime Emmy was for uh, Heart of Ice, which was the Mr. Freeze episode. What's important about the Mr. Freeze episode is that until that episode, Mr. Freeze was just some random stock villain character, had no real backstory, was very two-dimensional, and suddenly this episode came out that cast him as a very tragic, almost Shakespearean tragic villain, uh, who was driven to what he became by love and by being taken advantage of by corrupt businessmen, uh, and suddenly he was this character with all sorts of layers and a real tragic backstory. Uh, and that happened for a lot of the characters on this show. One of the things that was most notable about Batman the Animated Series was that while they kept it, it was never as dark as Batman Returns was. They specifically didn't want to take it into pure gothic horror, uh, so they kept it lighthearted. At the same time, there were a lot of very subtle nuances and very layered characters that in the early 90s you were not accustomed to seeing on TV. The artistry style of it, the visual style of the drawing, is also notable. The creators talked about how when they wanted to to make Gotham, they didn't want it to be fully gothic horror like uh, like Tim Burton had made it, but they wanted to keep certain elements of that, so they really, they kept a lot of the deco, the art deco design. Uh, they actually, they created a genre that they call dark deco, which I really love. Um, and I had forgotten when I was doing research on this, Batman, when Batman first premiered, like, as a comic, it was film noir. Batman appeared in detective comics. And even in the 60s, from, when... From which from which the term DC came, DC Comics, oh, is d- detective comics. Yeah. Um, in the 60s, when the Adam West Batman series was on, although it was a great show and that uh, one person wrote really well, they said the kids could take it 100% seriously and the adults could laugh at all the in-jokes that were going on. Um it was not Batman's original roots, which were film noir detective. Tim Burton, even the original Batman, which was not as dark as Batman Returns, certainly got closer to those roots in terms of tone, but I wouldn't classify the first Batman as film noir either. I would say that arguably Batman the Animated Series is the show that brings Batman back the closest to that original concept of it's a hard-boiled detective story with a superhero in it. And so the visual style reflected that. Very Art Deco. All the cars look like they're out of the 40s, even though all the stories are contemporary. It's sort of, Gotham is meant to be this idealized 40s city that just happens to exist in the 90s. Uh, So this series ran from 1992 to 1995. It had a total of 85 uh, episodes in it. And with only a few exceptions, just about every animated Batman film that DC has put out after this has been a clear extension of what this original animated series was. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that that the style mimics in many ways the old Fleischer uh, movies. If you ever look, you can find them, the old Superman movies made with that big square jaw yes. and, the, and the giant yeah. upper torso and the little legs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of this, this very stylized way, which made it so that you had very simple animation lines, but then you could make those characters move in more interesting ways as opposed 
opposed to say another movie show that came out at the same time, the X-Men animated series, uh, which had, you know, if you took a still of Batman, the animated series and a still of the X-Men, it would be easy to go. Well, the X-Men looks very detailed and looks very, you know, like the comics while Batman doesn't. But when you watch the move, because the X-Men show has so much detail in, in the drawings, they can, they end up moving more like your, your old traditional Hannibal Barrett movie. Mm -hmm. Whereas because Batman has the clean lines, you can have him move in these much more fluid, interesting ways. Yeah, the artist really wise choice for the character. The artists specifically opted for a much. Uh, some of the artists uh, came from shows like GI Joe, which also focused on that heavily detailed thing, and they were kind of wanting to push against that. So they very specifically chose to go to a more stylized, simplistic tone. Which, to me, I feel that works real well in animation. Period. Uh, because the point of at maybe maybe years and years and years ago, the point of animation was to try to recreate reality. But nowadays, of course, we've got CGI, and so the whole recreating reality, that's not, it's not something that wows us anymore. And even in the early 90s, I don't think it was necessarily something that wowed us for an extended period of time. What animation is able to do is take certain aspects of reality and really highlight them in order to better serve the story that's being told. Uh, so the aspects of uh, a quote-unquote realistic Gotham that needed to be highlighted were done so by the animation uh, in a way that they wouldn't have been uh, the shadows especially the uh, ooh, I'm going to use a I'm going to use an art term that I learned in college and haven't used since the chiaroscuro which is the balance ooh. between light and dark uh, I mean light and shadow is a character in and of itself in Gotham in this series and uh, and if you were going with the super realistic style you wouldn't be able to achieve that I think it's worth noting uh, that at this time in the early 90s there was this renaissance of great animation much of it on fox um the fox after school and then uh and going into saturday morning cartoons there had been some really good stuff and a lot of the stuff that we remember today is from that time but in terms of just sheer quality um the one-two punch of the batman the animated series and animaniacs Oh, yeah. Elevated, elevated animation airing at the same time, both of which aired in primetime from time to time. They would put the, they would, especially the animated series, it had a primetime slot every once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, they decided to make something not just for kids, but the kids could consume that had its art, like its foot in art and not just in product. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you look back at that time, I, I would dare say I've not seen a time like it in terms of America. American animation uh those two the, the idea the batman the animated series and animaniacs premiered within like a year of each other yeah that really crazy. cements a golden era doesn't it yeah it's crazy um all that being said uh this is a movie continuation of uh of the show this takes place in the middle of the show um you don't have either of the robins that the show eventually has uh in this and this deals a little bit with batman's origin which is retcon somewhat in the show. So um, normally Arthur gives a plot, which is very well written. And then when I'm asked to give a plot, I give a, a slapdash haphazard plot. And to make things a little bit different this time, I will give a slapdash haphazard plot. Just Hooray! Um, so yes, here I am. Uh, I have two minutes to get this plot out to you. Batman is actually a boy named Bruce Wayne, an older boy starting college. And he is still mourning the loss of his parents, training, getting ready for what's going to be his bat career. But he's not 
not quite sure if he wants to do it. Enter Andrea Beaumont, a, a, a rich girl, just like him, can relate to him in many ways. She is also mourning the loss of a parent. And he, they meet, they fall in love, they realize they have many things in common, except her father, unfortunately, it turns out, is making some shady deals with local crime lords. Her father seems to approve the relationship well enough, but then suddenly she decides to bail out and Bruce, brokenhearted, becomes the Batman. Turns out the reason she bailed out is because her father was being controlled, manipulated, and threatened. In an effort to save her, her father takes her to other countries. They, they country hop, they try and get out of the way, and eventually her father is killed. Taking the skills that she's learned over doing all this and other skills she's picked up along the ways, she becomes the Phantasm, a Batman-like creature continually shrouded in fog, able to scare people, following them around with a single-bladed hand as she lays waste to Gotham's underworld. Unfortunately, Batman is blamed for these crimes because of the similarities in their approaches and demeanors. Batman, on the run for the lob, is injured and saved by Andrea Beaumont. She, knowing his secrets, starts pulling him out of the life that he had. He's willing to consider not being the Batman until he realizes that she, in fact, might be the Phantasm herself. Unfortunately, we enter the Clown Prince of Crime who is entered into the fray by people scared of the Phantasm and who ends up wanting to have to kill her too. Now, wanting to protect her and also wanting to bring down the Clown Prince of Crime, they go to the old, like, sort of, I keep wanting to call it the Stark Expo, I guess it's the Gotham Expo, <laughs> um, the, the 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 copy of the the world of tomorrow from disney um they 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 go to the the horrified remains of that where a battle ensues between all three of them a major explosion occurs batman escapes it seems that andrea beaumont and the joker have died but we find out that andrea is on a ship sailing off into the wild blue yonder and credits roll very nice sir very nice yeah that came i just made just that up minutes. just right now that's awesome um, uh, your slapdash is better than I'm, you think, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. I am looking to see if there was ever, before we even get started, I'm seeing if there was ever a follow-up to this in the show. And while next time you talk, I will look and find out if yeah. there was a follow-up to the show. No, that's true, because Andrea, uh, Andrea Beaumont was a really good character. It would be a shame to just burn her on one film. Um, let's uh, let's talk about the release. It released on Christmas Day, 1993. Um, it's when everybody wants to go see a, uh, an adult animation about murder and mayhem. Mm-hmm. Um, 76 minutes long. Um, was your version uh, at... Uh, uh, was your version in four by three? I honestly forget. I don't believe so. Because we watched it. We watched it. Ours was, I got it uh, HD from Amazon. And the first thing I noticed, it was not in widescreen. It was in the same uh, aspect ratio as a TV show. I noticed that the the credits and some of the CGI uh, looked a little bit more expensive, but it didn't look that far away or ahead of the of the animated series. I mean, I it looked like myself, a double. Is... It looked like a double episode of the TV show. It did with with maybe slightly better backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the film certainly is darker than the show, more violent than the show. Um, able to go further than the show is able to go. Um, I think it's PG. I would be. I'm surprised, but I think it is. I think the film clearly could be a PG-13, at least in my opinion. Um, I watched it with my, I watched it, of course, when it first came out, and then I watched it this time with my younger son, with my eight-year-old son, who found parts of it slow, parts of it interesting and, and, and exciting, and parts of it a little bit scary, and I want to talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like I said, a budget of six million, uh, there's, there is no, uh, there's no question that it failed at the box office. Pulling from 
from Wikipedia. Originally planned for a direct-to-video release, Warner Brothers ultimately decided to give Mask of the Phantasm a theatrical release, condensing its production into a strenuous eight-month schedule. The film was released through the studio's family entertainment division on December 25, 1993, to positive reviews from critics, who praised the stylized animation, voice performances, storyline, and music. However, due to the decision to release it in theaters on short notice, Mask of the Phantasm failed at the box office. Um, it looks like there are two direct-to-video standalone sequels, uh, Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero and Mystery of the Batwoman. Uh, and until the release of Batman The Killing Joke in 2016, Mask of the Phantasm was the only animated Batman film to be given any kind of theatrical release. So that is sort of the history of the film. This this time I watched it, like I said, I watched it with my older son, and it was... Um, it was a mixed bag. I ended up watching it over two days because he ended up being a little slow and then a little too much for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you watch it this time? Uh, I watched it in one sitting. Uh, I watched it from... Uh, I actually watched it on the DC Universe app uh, because I finally went and actually paid the money for the subscription to the DC Universe. Uh, so Let's I am... a sidebar. Tell me about the app and, and, and what you do. Yes, I mean, seriously, the I both Marvel Unlimited and DC Universe, um, I think we're going to be pitching this so much on the show. They're, they're not even giving us money. I I just I'm just so so unbelievably happy that these things exist. I just want everyone to know about them. Uh, yeah, DC Universe. It's it is the the DC equivalent of the Marvel Unlimited app now. In that I can go back and read all these back issues of DC Comics. So I'm actually going through. I just finished reading uh, the Batman Hush saga. Um, I've started on some Wonder Woman stuff. Like it's it's like a whole new world has been opened to me. I'm a kid in a candy store. With the additional benefit uh, of a ton of of the DC movies are available for streaming on it. So, you know, I figured, well, rather than paying, you know, four bucks to rent this one movie from Google, uh, why don't I pay $9 for the month, get the movie for free included, as well as all this other comic stuff. Uh, so that is how I watched it. Uh, and I watched it in pretty much one sitting. Um, granted, the fact that it's only 76 minutes helps with that. Uh, lots of times if I'm watching a movie at home, I do it over multiple settings. But yeah, uh, that's how I watch it. I, <laughs> I was with my dog. Uh, I don't know if she counts as a viewer. Um, she seemed unenthused, but she seems unenthused by most of the material that I watch. So, um, uh, in answer to my prior question, uh, I did look up uh, the post mask of the Phantasm appearances by Andrea Beaumont, and she has one uh, very, very, uh, very, very interesting uh, thing that she does, and I'll and I'll talk about this here. Uh, she there's a comic book uh, called Shadow of the Phantasm in November 1996, uh, who uh, shows that. Uh, Andrea had been driven mad by the Joker, determined to exact. Uh, oh, the, dro- the the sorry Joker being driven mad. Andrea's been driven mad, and the Joker's determined to exact revenge on her. There's another one um, in Batman Adventures: Shadows and Mask, um, where the mask comes back as well um there is uh so the dc animated universe expanded 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 eventually they had the adventures of superman and then they had justice league and justice league unlimited and that's what happened over the course of uh, and batman beyond these are all extensions they're all supposed to be one big basically cinematic universe where they're all extensions of each other um in the season two finale um of justice league unlimited uh, the phantasm returns and she is 
an elderly woman hired by this is from Wikipedia hired by Amanda Waller to murder Terry McGinnis's parents. The, the the psychological trauma Waller reasons would have steered Terry toward becoming Batman's successor. Is this However, wait? Is Batman this se- abandons the? Is this season two finale of uh, Justice League Unlimited, or this sounds like Batman Beyond? No, this is the season two finale of Justice League Unlimited. Because I didn't even know Terry McGinnis was in Justice League Unlimited. I thought he would because Batman Beyond is supposed to take Terry McGinnis is the main character in Batman Beyond, but that takes place thirty years in the future. So here, let me I'll, let me read the entire thing here. It goes, fa- the, the Phantasm reappears as an assassin in the season two finale episode of the television series Justice League Unlimited epilogue. So I guess this is, um, it, it goes into the future. Oh, that now an elderly sense. woman, the, phantas- the Phantasm is hired by Amanda Waller to murder Terry McGinnis's parents. The psychological trauma Waller reasons would have steered Terry toward becoming Batman's successor. However, the, fa- the Phantasm abandons the hit moment before she would have slain the young couple, unable to tear apart a child's life. The Phantasm argues that the murder would defile the Batman legacy by breaking Bruce's paramount rule, par- Bruce's paramount rule to never take a life. Andrea's change of heart marks the official end of Waller's Batman Beyond project, only to have fate compelled Terry to eventually become Bruce's oh, successor. Oh, anyway. all right. I, episode, I should have just shut Andrea up and let you keep keep going then, because that would explain everything. Yeah. In the episode, Andrea has no lines or voice actor. Her sentiments are conveyed through Waller's monologue recounting the event. Oh, interesting. Which is interesting. It is also worth noting you um, mentioned the uh, Batman the Animated Series. I think then becomes our first uh, Batman in a non-comic medium where Batman's rule of never take a life uh, comes into play. Because as we discussed in Batman and Batman Returns, Batman ain't got no problem taking multiple lives. Yeah, no, no issue at all. Um, but in this one, this is again, this is the Batman from the comics that we love. Um, it's I to answer your question about this particular episode. This was originally intended to be the series finale of Justice League and the DC animated universe in general. The uh, the entire episode is a flashback where an older Terry McGinnis is talking to Amanda Walder, a Waller, and Amanda Waller tells him everything that she has done. Ah. Um, and it was intended to be a finale for Justice League and a finale for the entire DC animated universe. And there was wasn't going to go further past that. But then season three happened. And mm-hmm. and the show continues for you know another twelve episodes. Yeah. So that is that that is the the I guess legacy of the Phantasm. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's talk uh really quickly about the actors Kevin Conroy. Uh, a lot of people's definitive Bruce Wayne, right? This is what people, th- who they think of when they think Bruce Wayne. Is, yeah, this is, is the Kevin when, Conroy and also Mark uh, Hamill's The Joker. It's like those two. Mm-hmm. Like when we, I, I think we talked about this already, like certainly for me, when I read the comic, it's Conroy's voice in my head when Batman has dialogue. Yeah, I agree. And also and also Mark Hamill is the, is the definitive Joker the way the Joker is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like it's, Nicholson is, is, is the gangster Joker and, and Ledger is the anarchist Joker. Mm-hmm. And it looks like we're going to have another great Joker. But the Joker, as the Joker appears in the comics, when I read the Joker, I hear Mark Mark Hamill's voice. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, and, you know, you forget. You get so used to the Joker. Ha ha! Batman! You know, you're, you're used to hearing that. The nuance of how scary and dark he can be in that mm-hmm. is really evidence in, the, in this film. Like, there's a next level scariness to the Joker in this film, which I found really unexpected and really kind of wonderful. Yeah. Um, it just was off-putting and and very... Yeah, he has upsetting, this... Uh, was great. Vocally, like, because his, his general, like, presentational Joker um, is, you know, where he's, he's very big and bold. The, the cadence of his voice just goes up and down it's this 
wonderful. And it's just, and it's delightfully charming to listen to. And then suddenly he'll have these moments where his voice just drops into this growl. But you hear when he's speaking and when he's speaking loud, the there is a grin behind what he's doing. And it's it's almost a charm. It's almost a charming grin. When he drops into that growl, there is still a smile behind it. But that smile is terrifying. Uh, yeah, there's you're absolutely right. There's levels of subtlety that Hamill accomplishes with it, which I had not noticed uh, when I was first viewing this series. Yeah, I think it's worth noting uh, for anybody interested in the current DC television universe that we talked about last time. Uh, Kevin, since we did our our, our news, uh, Kevin Conroy has been cast as an elderly Bruce Wayne. I love that so live much. Action, so much um, in 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 the Arrowverse, and yes, Mark Hamill will be appearing as the Joker. So this will be the first in, time that Mark in, Hamill will actually appear live as the Joker. Yes, I Mark Hamill cannot, will be live as the Joker. I cannot overstate how profoundly excited I am by that and there will evidently be other batman as well and they've just announced this week that uh black lightning will be part of it as will dc's show titans nice will also factor into say so i next year is going to be crazy and i can't wait for it to exist well, um if they release it as one giant movie i will probably have to buy that movie and watch it over yeah, and over. right so here's a question for you then uh going back to mask of the phantasm then with it as a movie uh you know in terms of its visual splendor and its spectacle uh obviously it can't hold up up to you know the you know the tens of millions of dollars that are dropped on the budget for effects for the other films but in terms of the story of it in terms of what it did with the characters uh how did you feel that uh how did you feel this film held up to the others that's a really great question um and i'll start with the story here i uh uh right before we recorded today um i was recording uh an episode of trek off and we were talking about the current state of Star Trek and how good Star Trek now looks uh, with Discovery and stuff like that. And what it's achieving on TV at a low budget and how the popularity of that show or of the franchise in general does not sort of justify a, a major theatrical release like like Star Trek Into Darkness, which costs like $185 million to make. Like you're not going to recoup that money mm-hmm. uh, at this point because it's just not popular enough. Yeah. And the question becomes like, how much money can you pour into? to it for it to be profitable but also for it to justify its existence as a movie because at this point I can go you know I have a projector and a pretty big screen they're not that expensive you can get them for like $300 um, and I can sit down on my couch and I can watch on a fairly big screen experience Star Trek Discovery and the effects are amazing and the action's really good and it's in 4K and it's it's beautiful. And so how do you get, how do you make me decide? I mean, I'll always go see a Star Trek movie, but how mm-hmm. do you make someone not as dedicated as me decide that they're going to go spend, you know, $16 for a ticket and then another $20 you know, dollars on concessions? to go watch a Star Trek movie in the big sc- on the big screen without spending $185 million is a catch-22. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I think about this movie, the big question that I ask about Mask of the Phantasm is, is it enough to justify its own existence? It's a question I have to ask myself. As a, th- well, as a theatrical release, well, that's why I was so shocked when you said it had got a theatrical release. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's, I mean, I, I loved this movie. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I don't think it, I don't think it justifies its existence on the big screen. I think as a as something that can you know whether straight to video or streaming. Um, I think it's one hundred percent justifies its existence. You see, and I I don't know that it does. Uh, frankly, uh, I I have to try and separate how good Batman the animated series is from how good this movie is. Um, because 
70% of what I like about this movie is what I like about Batman the Animated Series. Mm -hmm. And so is it like the best version of Batman? One of them, although I have to admit, I found... Batman in particular in this to be a little stiff, a little stale, um, not entirely justified in in his choices. Um, and his interiority didn't come across nearly as well as as Andreas, for instance. Andrea mm-hmm. Beaumont's interiority came off really, really well. Yeah. But you know, when he's when he's staring at his at his parents' pictures and he's he's emoting and you, you get what he's supposed to be going through. I feel like it's, you know, I'm not getting his pain. I don't know why, you know, why her presence is enough to pull him away from where she is. I get most of her justifications and the Joker needs no justification. And I feel like what he's doing is just zany and dark and scary enough. And the mob bosses who are scared of what's going to happen, I get a lot of them, but I feel like Batman is a is is a weak link in this in a way that he is not in the show. Mm. Um, so like it's he just seems a little bit cardboard to me in this. Um, not just the the, the performance, which I don't think the performance it represents Conroy's best performance as Batman. Um, and certainly I feel like Batman in this is I'm not getting his his pain, and there's a lot. The story's telling me he's having a lot of pain, but I'm not getting it or feeling it at all mm-hmm. um that being said i think the phantasm is a wonderful character um and if you are eight i think the turn that, that the phantasm is andrea beaumont is incredible like my eight-year-old was like oh my she's really the ah. oh that's cool. i knew mm-hmm. like i knew like like immediately that she was going to be the phantasm and once you know that you know the movie spends there's so much hand-wringing about who's the phantasm what's it going to be is it her father um, you know, clearly it's not her father. Her father's a wheezy man who can't get out of his chair. Like it's not can, not going to be him. Um, uh, or that's not her father. That's See, not her father. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. But but her father was an old man. Um, so so I found her character really compelling. Um, I found the the sleazy um the the Arthur Reeves city councilman Arthur Reeves. I found him to be a really interesting character. Very interesting character. Yeah. Um, I mean, he yeah, was he, character that I haven't seen. He represented a lot of the. He was the the physical representation of the corruption at Gotham's high levels. I think. Yeah. And that that stuff was really interesting to me. So the question is, is the reason this is a movie is because it delves into Batman's backstory. That's the only reason this is the movie is it says, hey, Batman was almost not Batman. Want to hear about mm-hmm. that? Because it's a pretty good story. Yeah. And that's what that's the only thing about this that makes it more significant than a a, a really good two part episode of the animated series. Mm-hmm. So I sort of feel like as, as a film, um, I wasn't digging it that much. Um, what I was digging it, digging about it was not just nostalgia for the animated series but appreciation of everything that i like about the animated series um i really like that show but i don't think that show stretches well to 76 minutes Mm. um i think the show works really really well in the in the 22 minute space that it normally had to operate and i feel like this i found myself bored a little bit sometimes um never when the joker was on the screen never when the phantasm was screen sometimes when batman was on the screen Mm. there were Um, you raise an interesting uh just and it's a good general question that we actually haven't answered or talked about on the podcast which is the okay what's the difference aside from time what's the difference between a television show and a film um you know obviously aside from time and budget there's a certain uh you're even making reference to it there's a certain je ne sais quoi that sort of differentiates the two like case in point to talk about star trek star trek insurrection um a lot of people didn't like uh i en- i enjoyed it uh even for some of its sillier moments but the it felt like some people their criticism of it was just like this just felt like 
like an episode of Next Generation. It didn't feel like a movie. Um, for me, it absolutely felt like an episode of Next Generation, and I didn't mind that fact. Um, but then granted, that's because Next Generation had been off the air for a few years, and I was just happy for anything. Um, but the when somebody says something like, okay, so like even Mask of the Phantasm, we say, okay, this didn't feel like a film. This felt like a this felt like a two-part episode. What is the what is it? Um, is it story? Is it budget? Is it film style? Like, what is it that makes it feel different? Or make one thing, this would be great as a TV thing, not great as a movie. Well, I think it's really interesting that you bring up Insurrection, which is a a, a piece of dog poo. Um, it's, it's, my, it's my least favorite Star Trek film, one of my least favorite Star Trek anythings. Um, uh, but not because of what you're talking about. It's mostly because I felt like it was a betrayal of a lot of the characters um, and that it doesn't make any sense um, uh, because data would never want to be used as a flotation device. Um, that being said, uh, the criticism that it was just like an episode of, of Next Gen is 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 legit. They did not get Industrial Light Magic back. The effects were not as good. Um, the scope was significantly smaller than everything they've done. It wasn't visually arresting in any way but i don't think that's what makes a film i think that specifically with this and with star trek and with other things is is why when you're adapting a television series to a film directly where you're like here are the same characters from the television series on a big screen in a film that's different than what differentiates a film i mean ninjas versus monsters is a film um, because you can't consume it in any other media. Like it's it's only available in that medium. And so it's, you know, it's a 90 minute format. It's a feature feature length um, movie that you watch because you can't get, I mean, Clerks is a film and there's nothing about it that makes it particularly filmic. But if there were 20 episodes of a Clerks TV show that looked just like Clerks and then they released Clerks as a film 20 episodes in and it just was like another episode of Clerks, um, that is, that's problematic. Mm, there's... Um, especially when it's, when it's, when, when when it's intra when, when it's intra series um, you can look at a movie like Sex and the City, which came years after, or even Insurrection, where it was like, hey, this is the only way you're going to see your show that you miss. So if they did a Friends as a film right now, the Friends movie, you know, then everyone would go see it because everyone wants to see what's up with the Friends. Um, it wouldn't necessarily have to justify its existence as a film, and it might not work if it tried too much to be filmic. But when you have a show like this, the closest comparison to this show that I can think of, and correct me if I'm wrong, if there's another one that hits as much, is a film called The the X-Files fight the future where in between like seasons five and six of the X-Files, I was just they had a feature this, length. Yeah. They had a feature length film that moved the story of the X-Files forward in a very significant way. But it feels like a movie. It's shot like a movie. Um, it was my introduction to the X-Files. I never watched it before it before that film. So when I went back and I watched the season finale and season premiere that surrounded it, they seemed small and cheap where the X-Files movie seems, you know, really well lit. Um, another great example that you could point to, a, a great example you could point to is Star Trek Generations. And what's interesting about that is that is a film that is shot on the same sets as the TV show. So when Next Generation ended, they they took the same exact sets, sat the same actors, in some cases in the same costumes, um, on the same set, but they like did little touch-ups on the set and they shot it differently. And the lighting in that film is incredible. It's a beautiful film, Star mm -hmm. Trek Generations. Um, it just doesn't look the same as Star Trek The Next Generation, despite the fact that it's on the same set. So you have different cameras, bigger music, bigger score, a larger story. Um, and it's just kind of more beautiful. And I think if you're going to be adapting a TV show directly into film, 
it has to justify his existence in that way. Whereas a, you know, let's say uh, back in the 80s, a Dolph Lundgren Punisher, which we are eventually going to have to cover, looks way cheaper, way cheaper than any episodes of the TV show Punisher. But it was the only way you were going to get the Punisher. Mm-hmm. And so it justifies his existence by being the only place you can get it. The, uh, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So the well, so one of the things you're mentioning is there, especially if you are a TV show that's then making the jump for film, there does need to be a noticeable jump in the quality of the filming, of the lighting, of the, uh, you know, just the actual cinematography of it. Uh, there was another word that you said there that I suddenly latched on to, and that word was scope. Um, story, movie stories, especially when it's a movie thing compared to a television show uh they just tend to be bigger to deal with bigger things uh so suddenly i start thinking okay if mask of the phantasm phantasm had say it didn't say that its uh art style was exactly what it was which is you know a little bit better than the television show but not enough so that you really notice it the way that you did like the jump from gener uh from next generation to the generations film but if that movie had been about you know say a major major threat to gotham where all all of a sudden like eight villains were involved that Batman had to fight off where you know major character things happened where there were where nothing returned to a status quo at the end where maybe a you know major character died uh you know something with a bigger scope something with more impact or on the overall the origin world of the story or yeah. yeah yeah then suddenly that would have justified its existence as a film more um yeah something something needs to and that's the big issue something needs to justify its existence because it's the story doesn't you don't need to improve the 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 visuals if the story does it or if the story is still going to be small you're like well still it, it still is a, a noir story but we want to show it in its best possible light another movie a great comparative to this film is uh i think it's 1986 is transformers the movie yeah which is a cartoon movie that happened between seasons two and three of the transformers but good god did As it change movie, everything yeah as a movie, it's not very good. It's not a very good movie um, for a lot of it. Uh, and it's it does change everything, but like it, it follows the rules that we just set out. It does justify its existence as a movie. Yes. Without a doubt. Um, it moves the whole story forward like 30 years. Um, <laughs> it's not the, a great film, but it's a justified film. Yeah. M- m- many characters die for no reason. They're brutally murdered. Um, your big hero dies in battle. Everybody, everything changes. It, it, you... I def- I would defy you to go from seasons two to three of the Transformers TV show and not watch the movie because you'd be like, what happened? Yeah. What 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 is this? Um. But also visually, without changing the visual style of the Transformers TV show, because everyone still looks the same as they did. It is a really pretty film. It's uh they they make a point to have really interesting and beautiful animation sequences. Every everything with Unicron is beautiful. There's wonder like when the when the cars move and transform. There's a real sense of speed and scope to what they do it looks about 60 percent of the time it looks like a movie Mm -hmm. there's another 40 percent of the time that it doesn't but it looks like but it looks like that without changing it's important to note that it didn't alter what you knew the the language was all the same and they could have done that here you you said you said uh earlier you said you know clearly they did what they could with the budget they had but if they had just increased the budget by 10 million
million more. Now, but, you know, maybe that wouldn't be a good idea because it didn't even make back its the budget it had, but it could have justified its existence as a movie. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah. that ultimately, when I think about the movie, we'll talk about final, you know, our final review at the end. But I think that it suffers from from that. The story isn't bad. I want to be clear: the story isn't bad. And the one thing it does that the show can't do, I guess, you know, another movie comparative, I guess, you could do is South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Yeah, uh, which took takes place in the middle of the show which has a couple of good animation sequences, but for the most part is the exact same quality as the show. But that one is also like a completely justified film because of just how massive they... Well, for one thing, the addition of the addition of turning it into a musical um, as well as just the massive scope of the story that they do with it. Well, it's also worth noting that at that time, Comedy Central now, this has changed, but at that oh, time, very true. Yeah. South Park did not air without bleeps. You could not hear the, the characters curse in the show. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time they were like, there are no bleeps, there are no censors. That's what the uncut means. Um, that that when suddenly you're hearing the characters sing Uncle Effer, like that would all just be bleeps mm-hmm. on the show. Um, and now you can see them do this thing they cannot. I would dare say the show, while violent, of Batman the Animated Series, did not have, you know, straight up murders and Batman discovering corpses. And, you know, there was a, a level of violence in this that would not have been acceptable for a, a kid's show. Mm-hmm. And so it's maybe, maybe it was they wrote the episode, they thought it was great, they did it the censors didn't like it and behind the scenes they're like we'll do it we'll do it direct to video then and then someone's like well let's just throw it in the theaters oh that's possible like maybe that's where it came from that they because this would not have been an appropriate episode for the show but in that case mm-hmm. it doesn't go necessarily far enough so yeah i mean it's it's i'm not saying i disliked it i didn't dislike it but i found it um you know it was what none of the batman films so far have been which was middling it was you know they they have always shot for the moon mm-hmm. and sometimes failed Fail, and sometimes Fail. Um, that's true the, the uh but this one doesn't seem to yeah I, I i would agree with that the story-wise there were some things that i really liked about it i mean i do feel like for for all of the areas where it did fall a little bit flat um i feel like this movie did a better job of really exploring uh the concept of doubt in bruce's mind as to whether he should be batman whether he should be batman forever um the like they in so many of the other films they kind of they kind of sort of scratch the surface of it. Um, I mean, even in the original Batman, which probably came the closest to it up to this point, uh, it was still sort of you know, there was that great scene with Vicky in her apartment and then suddenly she shows up in the Batcave and then that's kind of resolved. Like this one, they really delve into it. Uh, you know, they delve into it in, you know, literally two-dimensional ways frequently. Um, but it is, they took an aspect of Batman and they thoroughly explored it or more thoroughly than some than the films up until that point. Um, I feel like really, you know, Batman Begins and then Batman Dark Knight also explored that theme and arguably much better. But up until that point, this was this was the most in-depth thing I saw. Yeah, I mean, it's and that's honestly, I think that you could find elements of this film bleeding its way into the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Um, I think that this is this is absolutely the right tone for Batman to be taking, and a tone that you couldn't do on a on a on a weekly kids TV show. Um, I think that that's where it gets the tone the most right. Is is this? And for as much as I like the the as much as I personally prefer the tone and the aesthetic of Batman Returns to any of the other Batman films, I would say at this point that this came out, the original 1989 Batman is about the tone that Batman should be taking. And that's the same tone that this one's taking. Yes, very, very um, closely. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's mirroring that in both its, you know, in its darkness, but also in its, in its sort of gothic romanticism as well. 
is 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 in there and, and exploring Bruce Wayne, which none of them had done to date, um, is important. I think you're going to see that when you finally get to Christian Bale, you finally get to explore what's going on in Bruce's head, which is what you should do. Um, so I applaud it for that. And I, don't, I haven't seen enough of the show to see how much of the show actually gets into Bruce's head and how much Bruce is just a force of nature and just like a functional character who is just constantly solving mysteries and fighting crime. I don't know how much it gets into what he's feeling and his in his doubts and his fears. Um, his conversations with his parents were interesting. Um, like they, it was all fine. It was all it was all like I said. It would be a really good episode of that animated show. It's mm-hmm. a it certainly exists. It 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 justifies its existence as a piece of filmed entertainment without a doubt. It is it is uh, a but a, whether that's really good Batman. But whether that's enough yeah. to be a movie. Um, yeah. no, that so I guess, sense. I mean, I think, I think that being said, I think that should bring us, uh, well, there's one, there's um, one last, to, one final thing just to, it's one like last thing, yeah, please. quick that the, uh, cause there was something that I realized that was in this film that I've never seen before that I loved that they actually did. And that was the sequence where, um, I think I'm remembering this right, where Batman is running from the cops. Uh, because yes, we've always, just about everyone has done some kind of lip service to the sort of tense relationship that Batman the Vigilante has with Gotham Police Department. Um, but in this one, it was, you know, it was a targeted, the police were after him trying to bring him in. And what I actually really liked is it, there reached some serious points of desperation, uh, from him. The, uh, like there were serious moments where, you know, like if, um, if, uh, Andrea hadn't shown up at the end, he probably might've gotten caught. And it's one thing to see Bruce or Batman desperate when fighting supervillains. I don't know if I'd ever seen him desperate before when just, you know, dealing with you know Gotham Municipal uh, and that was really cool suddenly like the stakes got much higher than I was expecting them to be in that chase scene um, yeah and I think that is my favorite sequence of the whole film frankly that's mm-hmm. that was um, it was shocking it was shocking to see it happen yeah it was shocking to see them go after him it was shocking to see him bleed it was shocking to see yeah, it was shocking to see them go after him and, so effectively well and I think that it would um, I think that it would I think it's worth noting that that would be a real heartache for Bruce and this is a about, this is about Bruce's heartache. Mm, true. Um, and so I think that that is that that is why it's so moving. But it's also you know talk talk about visually. It's 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 visually amazing as well. And that's you know the one place where the maybe the film stands out. That and the opening credits, which were also really good. Oh yeah. Um. So all that being said, on a on a scale of 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 one to five spontaneously erupting gushes of fog, what would you rate? <laughs> that is uh, incredible. That is incredible. Incredibly specific. Uh, I love it. The uh, So I came into this one. Um, I think the rating for this really depends on what, you know, what you are rating it as. Are you rating this as a one of the many editions of DC's uh, straight to video films, uh, which are now all available for streaming on DC Universe? Uh, the In which case, I would have rated this a four. Um, I thought it did interesting character things. Uh, you know, that scene with the cops was exhilarating. Uh, you know, masterful performance by Hamill as Joker per the usual um, and and I liked the there were some aspects of the relationship between Batman and Alfred that were nicely explored uh, like again it comes down to and especially if this were if I were rating it as a television episode absolutely a strong four um, thinking of it as a theatrical release like if I had gone and pa- 
paid $12 to see this in the theater. Um, I would have rated it then as a three. Uh, it would have been in the sense that, you know, I movies that get a three from me are movies where I walk out thinking, uh, so long as I don't walk out thinking, man, I really wish I hadn't spent money on that. The movie gets a three. Uh, but that's probably at about the point that I would have reached with it had I seen it in the theater. This is a tough one for me uh, because the question is, do you have to rate it and justify its existence as a film when considering its quality? Uh, do you like what would I rate this film? I, I'm not going to rate it as an episode because I, it's it's not. But I where would I rate this film if the Batman the Animated Series never existed? Mm. And that's you know that that's a good question, right? The 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 whole you know the worst Beatles album is still better than 90 percent of other albums. Oh, that's a good I point. Do. Yeah. Um, like, like, what would I rate this if, if, if I just, they were like, Hey, here's an idea of how Batman can look and be, mm-hmm. I'd probably give it a strong 3.5 or four. You just know what? Like, wow. Come that animation. That's a good point. I probably, I'd, I'd give it a 3.5 for that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the animation's really striking. The, the, the music's really interesting. The tone in general is exactly what Batman's supposed to be. It succeeds on every level of what Batman's supposed to be. That being said, you can't just do that. And that's a problem that I have. And that's, you know, when we look at, you know, when we review eventually, you know, Spider-Man three, when we eventually talk about Spider-Man three and we go, oh, we're going to we're going to I mean, we're going to take a crap all over that movie because it's not that good. Um, Even when we reviewed Batman and Robin, you can't just go, is this movie terrible? Well, would we think it's terrible if there were no other Batman movies mm-hmm. to compare it to? Or would we just be, holy moly, we get this now? This is what we get? Same thing with the worst of the Marvel films. You know, you watch Thor The Dark World, considered to be the worst of all the Marvel films. God, if we'd had that in the 80s. Yeah. What if there were no, even now, what if there were no other Thor movies and no Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything was the same? We're just like, hey, they're going to do the first Marvel movie is going to be Thor. Check this out. And we watch Thor The Dark World and it's like a game of Portal at the end. And you're like, yeah, that's not, that's not so shabby. Thor's pretty cool. I like him. Chris Hemsworth, he's a pretty good, pretty good Thor. That's like, We'd walk away thinking it's pretty good, but we have to consider it in the context of everything else that surrounds it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that I want to be clear that I think the film, if you don't have time to watch the D, like if you're an adult, like I love Batman the Animated Series, but I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again. Yeah. You know, maybe I'll get my, you know, I wish it was on Netflix. It'd be great if there was a way to stream it outside of the DC app. Um, because I'd love for my, my eight-year-old would love it. My eight-year-old would think it's a, it's like he's getting right at that age. That, like when he gets to be like nine or 10, that like pre-teenage, mm-hmm. it's a great time. Like Perfect fifth time, grade. yeah. It's a great time to watch all of that. He's third grade now. Even f- like late third grade, fourth grade, we great, great time to watch that show. Um, And if I didn't have the patience to watch that show and I'm like, oh, I just need a, I just need a reminder of what it's like to watch that show. No, it'd be, it'd be like going to, to Disneyland because you miss our Disney World and you miss Disney World so much and you get to ride Pirates of the Caribbean. It's a fine ride and it reminds you how much you love going to Disney World. But in my opinion, it's not as good as Haunted Mansion or Thunder Mountain or Splash Mountain or Space Mountain or, or you know, it's it's right around, it's kind of under those four rides, mm-hmm. but it's certainly above, you know, Dumbo. So it's like, it's a, it's a pretty darn good ride, but it's not, you know, as good as other ones. Um, Would the ticket to Disneyland be justified by just a ride on Pirates of the Caribbean? So it's a really hard one to rate. So I'm going to have to say that I have to rate it as a movie when there is also an animated series to choose from. Okay. Even now. And, you know, because of a massive mistake on their part to make it four by three and not 16 by nine, 
first thing I noticed on the projector on my screen is that, oh, it looks like an old TV show. The fact that despite the fact that I bought it in HD, it still looked very standard definition to me, which was really disappointing. Um, uh, the fact that the scope never really exceeded anything. The fact that, that there aren't major changes to the character that happen. Um, the fact that it, it is not that different outside of being a little darker. You know, the, I guess on the TV show, Alfred doesn't walk in on them having sex twice. <laughs> um, you know, I think that, that the show ends ends up being the movie ends up being a 2.5 for me um and i will bump it to a three because i appreciate the the five out of five that batman the animated series is and its inclusion in it as an episode this would be a four mm-hmm. um i'll bet there are better episodes i know there are better episodes the mr freeze episode is is a better episode of th- than this um but it's it's good it's good if you don't you know if you have no interest in watching the animated series again but you want a a reminder of what it was like this is serviceable yeah this will a be good fine one. and you can do it um but yeah I, I wish that I loved it. I know some of you are, are yelling at me. I know you're like, what the heck is wrong with you? Well, I think, and, I mean, why, it really, why don't you see it? It all comes down to what are you expecting? Like for me, I went watching this expect it. Like I went in wanting a long version of one of the episodes and that's kind of what I got. Again, it wasn't the best long version, but it was far from the worst. Um, the, and if I were rating that accordingly, like you said, exactly, it's a four. Uh, so yeah, neither of us are saying that this is a, that this is bad. It's just, a question of what is your expectation and what was its purpose yeah um uh i it's worth noting that there's a 16 by 9 presentation but i think that's just an open map presentation see now i've got to go i I want to i really wish i could um well i can say with near certainty that when i watched it on the dc app it didn't like there were no black bars on the sides of the tv so my okay like my guess is it was done 16 by 9 i like gosh now i want to go back and check see when 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 people list it you know the critical response response saying uh, even recently someone listed it as uh as what it was time magazine listed as one of the top 10 superheroes of all time um i don't think there's any chance that that's true i don't think that's that's any chance that this is you know and that was back in 2011 there have been a lot of superhero movies since then mm-hmm. but even 20 2011 i don't know if this would rank the top 10 well and you wonder how much of, films it, of all and you wonder how much of that was them saying well it was again that well we're going to rank this because this is the film representation of the animated series which is I yeah, think it's indisputably like it's, 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 one of the top ten super like the animated series is one of the top ten superhero things of all time. Uh, yeah, superhero things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's fine. It's 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 a it's a complicated set of feelings that I have about it. But ultimately, I remember the animated series really really fondly, and I suggest everybody check mm-hmm. that out, especially if that's what you're into. And you know what? I loved Batman Beyond. Oh, Batman I watched Beyond that was so adult. I had so much fun with that. That's a it was so yeah the the choices that were made the not just in the story but even the soundtrack like it was it was Batman but also something completely new and it was a very complex it was emotionally and thematically complex show mm-hmm. in a way that this show was not maybe something um, well, you know, and also being actually okay now I've got to go now I'm going to go watch even if we never review it I'm going to go watch Batman Beyond Return of the Joker which I remember watching and thinking oh my that that may well have been the kind of animated movie made from a TV show that justified its existence as a movie well and that's what I've always meant to I think that we will make a commitment that we will do Batman, Mr. Freeze, Sub-Zero, and Batman Beyond Return of the Joker um, eventually. Mm-hmm. But I, I would like to step outside of the bat. We, we, we've been on bats for a while. We've been on, we've been on bats for a while. Um, 
I can't tell you exactly what we're going to do next. Uh, we need to discuss it behind the scenes. I know that uh, I can guarantee you that the week before Spider-Man Far Far From Home comes out, we will be trying to do Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home as soon as they're available for us to watch on home video and do, and do a revisit. But between now and then, um, we're coming to the end of the summer, which is great, which means we'll be able to do this on a more regular basis. Summer is very hard for me mm-hmm. uh, and that, that I have two children. So find, finding time that I'm able to record at the same time of our, as Arthur has been tough because Arthur was like, hey, can you record at like nine in the morning? And I'm like, I'm feeding my kiddos, uh, but they're going to go off to school and I'm going to come to the studio for us to deliver free entertainment to you because we love you guys. <laughs> you guys are the best, especially you. You, listener listening right now, you're the one I'm talking you, about. You especially. You. Hey, Just hey you. there, listener. Just you especially. Hey there. We're, we're thinking of you. <laughs> How are you? Does anyone else call you listener? What if your name is listener? Like, what if your name is listener? Oh, yeah. Like, it is me. It's weird. Your parents are very mean listener. Uh, okay. Uh, for, uh, for now, uh, uh, my name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay batty. Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Endlight Entertainment. 